Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes various uh, observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena, and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as The Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it going. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can start off by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can find out more by going to www.patreon.com forward slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the ALPL, membership begins at only $22 a year. For more information, find us on www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what we hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, we're going to talk meteor showers. And that must mean we're talking to Bob Lunsford. Enjoy! All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. And we're going to talk meteor showers again. And that means we got Bob Lunsford here. Welcome back, Bob. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. We're right in the middle of meteor season and it's time to get excited. Uh, we got, got one biggie coming up and a couple that could be interesting. Yeah. So uh, I'd like to introduce folks to the Geminids. Uh, actually, I got some news on the Geminids. Uh, there was a very minor shower discovered recently by video uh, means hmm. called the Theta Regans. And uh, we go to find out that they have basically the same path in the sky as the Geminids. Really? So a little more study into that actually reveals that this shower is the early portion of the Geminids. So instead of having just a two-week period for the Geminids, they now extend for over a month oh from my goodness. November 19th all the way to December 24th. So same radiant and everything? Uh, well, same source, let's say okay. that. Okay, all right, all uh, right. Yeah. But uh, like I said, they were called the Theta Regis because – in November, the, the Geminid Radiant actually lies in the uh, the constellation of Auriga. So uh, yeah. if, if you're out early, <laughs> then uh, it won't be near the bright star caster like, like it will be at, at Maxima. Uh, the Geminids, as do most showers, move about one degree eastward per day. Okay. So if you're out two weeks uh, but prior to the Geminid Radiant, 
the uh, the actual source of these meteors will be about 14, 15 degrees uh, west of where we normally are seeing them. Okay. Now, you mentioned this was discovered video? By, by video means, right. So how do you do that? Well, they have programs now that record uh, meteors basically not quite as sharp as the eye. They can probably only get down to fourth magnitude mm-hmm. uh, un- unless these have a CD, CCD uh, imager. Then you can get down quite a bit uh, dimmer. But what they do is they're able to track uh, all these meteors they see during the night. And they've noticed that in late November, there are uh, there's a weak radiant that uh, lies near the star Theta Riga. Hmm. So they're able to follow these meteors as as December approaches, and they found out that it blends perfectly in with the start of the the, the Geminids. Wow! So it tie, ties right in. Uh, with the Geminid meteor showers, and uh, this has happened with a couple others. Uh, a lot of a lot of the old time lists only go for you know less than a week or so, but through the use of, of video data, we've been able to extend it for a long time. In fact, there's one uh, fairly minor shower called the Coma Bernicis, and we've been able to track that shower from early December all the way into into February. And before it was had about had three different names to it, uh, stretching from Leo Minor mm. into Virgo. <laughs> oh my! So, so now it's named Como Bernices. That's basically where it lies uh, on on the night of maximum activity. But like I said, it the 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 path of activity starts in Leo Minor and stretches all the way to Virgo in, in February. So that's that's pretty crazy stuff. It is. Anyway. Now, now the Ge- Geminides, uh, it, so are we going to rename these other possible sh- or showers? Oh, yeah, the, the, the Theta Regates okay. uh, is, is no longer valid. Okay. Uh, it's like I said, it's just an extension of, of the Geminids. Wow. So the Geminids, the Geminids now have a longer period than uh, they appear in in most uh, most notebooks now. <laughs> yeah, because the Geminids have always been a big meteor shower. Oh yeah, and, and they and they still are. Yeah. Uh, this really doesn't change anything. It actually just adds a few more meteors to the, uh, you know, to the overall total. Okay. Uh, it's it's not a whole lot. We're only seeing the very fringes of uh, of of the uh, the Geminid meteors. So we're talking at the, you know on on November nineteenth, the rate's probably one per night. Okay. And then as we approach December, it, it'll approach one per hour, and then it'll you know peak at hopefully sixty or more on the morning of the fourteenth. Okay. But anyway. Uh, Geminids uh, peaked on the 14th, and in 2023, the new moon's going to occur on December 12th. So two days before the uh, maximum shower. Nice. Therefore, the moon will set just after uh, dusk, so not a problem at all. Great. So we'll have totally dark skies. And unlike most showers, the Geminid radiant rises shortly after it gets dark in the evening. So you can see geminid meteors just as soon as it gets, gets dark. You won't see very many because 
uh, a good portion of them are hidden by by the horizon because they're shooting in all directions. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are shooting straight down, which is blocked, and shooting along the horizon, which may be blocked by hills or trees. So you're only seeing a small fraction of the actual activity at that time of day. But the ones you do see that, that shoot upward are called earth grazers because at that time they're just grazing the uh, upper portions of the uh, atmosphere. So at that time, that means that these meteors are going to be longer and uh, longer in duration and longer in length. Uh, Mm. Some will stretch half the sky and last for a couple of seconds, whereas your normal geminid is is less than a second and very short duration and and length only five degrees. So uh, I last year I was out early and caught several of these and they would stretch 45, 50 degrees. Oh, my. And it's very, it's very cool. <laughs> yeah, how, how bright are these meteors? Well, you know what? They they tend to be on the dim side. But uh, when define, you see define one. Define dim. Dim. Uh, we're talking third or fourth magnitude. Okay. All right. So you have to be looking in the general direction. And, I, you know, I, I don't know the reason for that. Uh, maybe because they, they normally appear close to the horizon. So I'm sure the uh, atmospheric extinction uh, has mm. some role, role in that. So they normally uh, it will appear low in the south or low in the north shooting from the east. Every now and then, though, you'll get one that shoots overhead. And uh, that's the one that makes you shout out loud. <laughs> <laughs> now, is the Geminids related to a comet? No, actually, okay. it's related to uh, an asteroid. Oh. And the asteroid's name is Phaethon. And only re- uh, discovered in the 1980s. Oh, my. So uh, they, they're, they're calling this this asteroid uh, kind of a rock comet because it's it, it's had a tail when it's at perihelion and close to the sun but the tail is not made of dust it's made of sodium so people are still scratching their heads of of what the kind of debris we're actually seeing from this uh most likely it's tiny little grains of of of, of uh, stone and then but but yeah. uh no no dust and probably no ice <laughs> wow so un, uncommon like because most of the other comets we're seeing is is a high proportion of ice right so uh yeah and like i said that was the first comet uh, the first meteor shower associated with with an asteroid hmm. So it has a very short period, too, and uh, I've actually seen it in my little nine-inch telescope, which was very cool because I could actually see it minute by minute passing some stars within the oh, field of view cool. there. So, yeah, that was uh, that was kind of nice to, to associate that with the Geminid meteor shower. Hmm. Anyway, um, like I said, you can start seeing them early in the evening. And you'll see more activity as the uh, radiant rises uh, in the eastern sky. Now, the radiant's best placed between 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning when it lies overhead from, from our latitudes here. That's probably the best time to see them. Uh, if you observe from home in a suburban environment, 
you probably see 30 to 40 uh, an hour, you know, about one every other minute. If you make the effort to drive to dark skies, though, you can double that count and see an average of one per minute. And uh, the reason for that, most dimmed meteors are on, on the dim side. In fact, if you could go beyond six magnitude in, into the, you know, the really faint stuff, you would have storms that equal the old Leonid ones oh. because they're, because majority of this mass is so small that it's, you know, invisible to our eye. But uh, if you could see down to 10th magnitude, you would see 10 meters per, per, per minute easily. So like I said, the more stars you can see, the more meteors you'll see. Yeah. So uh, if you have a spot where you could uh, safely watch in dark skies, by all means, do it. Sounds good. Now, the Geminids also are are visible in into the morning hours, uh, right up to dawn. Even even when it starts to get light, the, the radiance about twenty degrees high in the west. So uh, I'm not suggesting you you stay out for twelve hours. <laughs> you Thanks, probably Bob. turn turn into a into a popsicle. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they they are you know for folks who only can observe right before dawn, they're, they'll they'll still be active at a slightly less rate due to the the altitude of the uh, the radiant will will be lower. Okay. So, but you have you have good and bad for all. For you know, early in the evening, you can see a little activity, but with nice long meteors. At one or two o'clock in the morning, it lies almost overhead, and you can see them shooting all over the place. And early in the morning, a little bit less, but still you know, quite quite active. Uh, I got to mention a photograph I received from uh, South Africa. Mm-hmm. Actually, the Geminids are visible there, but it only clears the horizon by about 10 degrees. So this photograph captured about a dozen Geminid meteors, and they were all Earth grazers, real long, and, oh. and coming right from almost uh, on the horizon. And uh, wow, that was a really a cool shot. So it can be visible, South Africa, Australia, but it uh, it doesn't even rise until midnight there. So uh, they they have much much less activity, but it it is visible. Okay. So if any of our pod um, pod people are listening <laughs> from from down <laughs> under, uh, yeah, give it give it a, give it a shot. Great. So um, I think we've about covered that. And okay. now we got a couple of the meteor showers you want to discuss. Yeah, too, right? yeah. Uh, as we approach Christmas, there is a uh, meteor shower called the Ursids. Now, there's been some debate about this one, whether it actually is a major shower or so. And, you know, I've been out and I've seen less than one per hour at, at, on the night of maximum. And I've also been out and I've seen I've seen two dozen per hour. So it, it's really a, a mm. shot in the dark, basically, what you're going to see. Uh, most of the time, you can depend on maybe five or ten per hour during the, the morning of maximum. Um, this one's p- uh, scheduled to peak on, on uh, that will be uh, December 23rd, which is a Friday night, Saturday morning. So your best bet would be to go out as late as possible on Saturday morning. Uh, 
because that's when the radiant lies highest in the sky. Um, this radiant is actually located in, this, in the little dipper very close to the second magnus, magnitude star known as Kochab. And unfortunately, that lies right on the horizon or low uh, during the evening hours, but it does swing upwards. And it's about 30 to 40 degrees before, before it gets light. Uh, that's one reason you're not going to see a whole lot, especially when compared to the Geminids. But uh, they are visible, and I, they, they do have a surprise every now and then. <laughs> and once again, uh, I, I observe those two dozen per hour from dark skies. So, and most of them were uh, probably fourth or fifth magnitude. So, uh, if you can see those faint meteors, it, it may be worth it. Okay. MSIs, you got nothing better to do right for Christmas. You know, all, all, your, all your shopping will be over. And That's right. You'll be just bored just, just waiting for the big day to arrive, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Don't look at me, you Sounds like fun. Amen. Okay. Uh, swinging into the new year, we have one last uh, fairly strong shower before the great darth of, uh, of meteor showers occur during the first quarter of the year. There's no active showers between, no major active showers, I should say, between the quadranets, which peak on January 4th, and the lyrids, which peak on April 22nd. So, uh, you know, the sky gods are kind of good to us by not mm -hmm. making us going out during the dead of winter to, uh, to see these things. But on the other hand, you know, just uh, January 4th is not, too toasty, believe me. Right, right. <laughs> and the weather is usually crummy. And this particular shower uh, is only really strong for about six hours. So if you're not in the right longitude, uh, you're, you're not going to see much. Okay. It's predicted, though, to peak on the morning of January 4th, which is Thursday, at 9 universal time, which for us, Folks on the West Coast uh, is one o'clock in the morning, so that's not bad. It's it's low in the Northeast. If you live further east, you're even in better shape because the uh, quadratic radiant will actually lie higher in your sky. Now this radiant lies in a really barren patch of sky between the handle of Big Dipper and the uh, the constellation of Bootes. So there's a big black spot there <laughs> where there's no bright stars and those are where, that's where these meteors come from okay. um it's it's not really visible during in the evening sky because it uh is maybe less than 10 degrees if you're up in alaska though it may be about 30 degrees high so uh that's a possibility and uh that might be the time to look at it because the uh the moon is at last quarter on that same morning. So we can expect the moon to arise around midnight. Uh, that's not a killer, really, because the last quarter moon is much less uh, light than, than the full moon. And if you have a tree that could block that uh, moonlight, you'd be, you'd be saving yourself a lot of headache and uh, save your night vision too <laughs> so your your best uh, best strategy for observing the quadrants would be on the morning of january 4th okay. go out uh, let's say three o'clock in the morning or if you're on the west coast make that one and look toward the northeast 
and keep that moon out of your field of view and expect to see some meteors shooting upward from the northeastern horizon. Beautiful. Now, this shower also used to have a date of from January 1 through 9. Same, same thing here. Uh, we've managed to extend it from December 26th to the 16th. Mm. So rates during those days, though, are very low. Uh, in December, it mo won't be more than a couple per night. Same thing for the last few days in, in uh, that January period. So the since this since the core of this particular shower is is only six hours long, uh, I would definitely circle January fourth and okay. and make that a priority. I forgot to mention that if you're clouded out on the morning of the Geminids, uh, they ha still have very good rates on the morning before and the morning after. Right. Yeah. So um, that's about it. Um, okay. it's, it, sound, it sounds like technology has really improved uh, observing meteor showers. It, it sure has opened our knowledge to a lot, and it's able to help us predict exactly when these uh, – these showers peak and their exact uh, activity period. So uh, it certainly does help us a lot. One thing is, though, like I said, they can't see the fainter meteors that your eye can. Mm -hmm. So if, if you can see uh, down to, uh, you know, fifth and sixth magnitude meteors, then uh, you're doing you're doing better than than <laughs> than the video recorders. Okay. Now, is this like with an all sky camera? You know, all sky cameras are are extremely wide angle, uh -huh. and their limiting magnitude is actually about zero. They won't uh -huh. get anything uh, dimmer than 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 just a bright meteor. So uh, that's one one advantage that uh, smaller field of view is that that they can focus in on on fainter fainter meteors. I had one that had just a regular fifty millimeter camera lens. Mm -hmm. Uh, with the uh, see how fast that would think that was uh, a 1.8 and I was able to get fourth magnitude meteors no problem okay. um, I currently have uh, an array of, of six cameras uh, one looking straight up and other five covering the rest of the sky down to about 20 degrees and they cover about 40 oh no, it's not I would say 40 degrees in elevation and maybe 70 degrees uh, horizontally. So they cover a fairly good uh, swath of the sky. And I, I regularly get fourth magnitude on, on those two. Okay. And uh, that's, that's through, a, through, a, through a dome, which is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it seems that uh, the visual observer may be getting re re replaced. But uh, there's still uh, a lot of room for uh, for folks just to go outside and observe these. And there's some people that still plot. Um, mm -hmm. I don't plot anymore because the brighter meteors show up on my meteor camera, so I can go. compare what I see directly to the time that the meteor appeared and find it on on my uh, my meteor list of, of the night. So uh, I don't plot anymore, but there's still people that do. And, uh, you know, any information we can get uh, is helpful. In fact, it's, it's, it's uh, 
possible that observers can also uh, d discover uh, new swarms where we're encountering these all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, everywhere that there's video cameras, it's not always clear. So, uh, you know, it's, it's still worthwhile. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you can still, you can still uh, contribute to, to science by going outside and freezing your keister. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you run your cameras every night? Yes. Wow. It's it's all automatic. So cloudy night, clear night, daytime, they're running 24 hours a day. And does it have notification when a meteor comes in the field of view or uh actually actually not. I just have to go in and, and access it. Oh, so wow. so no, it, it won't it won't beep or anything. But okay. uh you know, there's there's probably some systems that do that. Probably. But uh, uh, just in the morning, uh, you know, I'll, I'll look at my list and say, wow, that was a nice one. And, oh, I only missed that one by by three minutes because I you know, packed my telescope in too early. <laughs> <laughs> well, you definitely have a passion for these, Bob. Yeah, I, I love it. And you know what? Having a, a camera system doesn't make me feel as guilty as I used to because, <laughs> you know, I hate to wait waste clear skies but sometimes you're just too pooped to go you. outside you had that last glass of wine at night and you're like i just can't do it tonight yeah yeah <laughs> so you know I, i'm I'm still doing both i'm out at least 30 nights a year so hmm. and uh you know for me it's just you know get away from the rat race enjoy the sounds of the night we have owls out here every mm -hmm. night of the year and bunnies in the bushes that sound like bears, you know. <laughs> <laughs> bunnies that sound like bears. Well, when they're going through the bushes, you get all kinds of uh, thoughts yeah. going through your head. What the heck was that? That's, you know, that's funny. You see their little beady little eyes. Yeah, looking at you. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, you shine, you shine your flashlight over there. You see his little white cottontail head. There you go. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> All okay. Right, yeah, On that well. note, we'll wrap it up. And uh, 2024 looks like an interesting year, too. So uh, yeah, we'll chat we'll, about we'll, the lyrids early on. We'll have to uh, get into those. So yeah. uh, it's been nice chatting to you. And we'll see you in a couple months. All right, Bob. Take care. Okay. My pleasure. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again, I want to thank Bob Lunsford for coming on and give us an update on all the upcoming meteor showers. Write those dates down. Put them in your calendar. Get out there and observe. You'll love them. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please give us a rating and a review. I really would appreciate that. You can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Echo, Spotify, and yes, this podcast is also on the ALPO YouTube channel. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month where you'll receive one year's membership, the Alpo, and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moore, for generous support. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, I hope that you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.